Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on today in our study through the Old Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. Um, we finished five years in the New Testament, and now we're 22 weeks into the Old Testament. 22 weeks of 15 years. You do the math. Um, but it's going to be good. I hope you all make it every Wednesday for the next 15 years, and uh, that will be, that will be uh, good. And then I, my thought is I'll start all over again, run another 20, and then I should be close to done. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, working through the Bible this way is really good. I think it helps to hold in context. Everything is happening. You have to cover some situations, you know, catch up to some things you might not normally catch up to. Uh, <clears throat> and also remember now, Genesis. So that, you know, the, the sort of main thing that I'm trying to get into your head about Genesis, it's, it's four, the first 11 chapters have four sort of main events that you should be able to think about and know where they are. That would be the, the creation and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. You should know that that's how Genesis begins, those four things. And then from Genesis 12 till the end, you're dealing with base, you know, four, it sort of moves around four people. And, and there's a lot of people involved, but if you sort of know those four people, you can kind of tell who's around them. You'll remember the stories. And so it's Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and Joseph. And so that really sets the tone of Genesis, if you can remember that. And then there's one little other thing that in Genesis 3, verse 15, we have what begins what we call the crimson thread of redemption. And from that point, through the Old Testament, until Jesus goes to the cross to redeem us, you'll watch through the Old Testament this thread of redemption that's weaved through all the texts. And um, you'll see how God protects it and how the enemy attacks it. And it's sort of a, it's interesting to watch this whole process develop throughout the Old Testament. You'll see it pop up. We've seen it already several times. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, it begins its process now as we go through the patriarchs uh, to Joseph, to the tribes, uh, and we watch what's happening there. Uh, and we see, you know, how, how it kind of moves down into the line of um, uh, Judah and what that looks like and everything that happens. All right? So keep all those things in mind as you read, and then, you know, we try and get what we can out of each chapter as we go through it. Genesis 22 is where we're at now. Um, I, th I think this is an, a fairly uncomfortable chapter, um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a big test is what's happening. And I, I think it's, you know, very legitimate to consider how it makes you feel when you read it. Uh, it's, a, a, again, difficult. You, and remember now in Abraham's life, they're dealing with some difficult issues, um, partly because, you know, they've gotten off track a few times. Um, so there's consequences and then just the reality of life. And now this is a pretty significant test when, when uh, we're going to look at today with Abraham uh, where God seems to ask him to sacrifice Isaac, the, the promised son, the one he'd been waiting for for 25 years, the one he'd gone through so much, um, you know, stress over and anxiety over and struggles over and moving over and battles over. And, uh, it's a pretty significant deal that we'll look at uh, together. Um, but it, it's, it's a picture, I think, of life. And, and uh, I was reading this thing. Uh, Scott Peck wrote that life is difficult. And uh, he was a, he's a doctor of 
psychiatrist or something. He's written some good stuff. Uh, but, but he said this, so life is difficult. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Pretty good, right? So, so once you get it, life's hard, life's difficult. Once you really know that life's difficult, then it's less difficult. Isn't that fascinating? There you go. Consider that. So anyway, so we're, we're going to look at this where, where God asks Abraham to, it looks like God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And then the issue would be that um, human sacrifice was something that the, the Bible states is, is that God condemns that as a terrible sin in Leviticus 20. Um, the pagan nations practiced it. God hated it, uh, condemned it. And now it looks like he's asking Abraham to perform this type of sacrifice. But what he's looking for is for Abraham to be willing to sacrifice Isaac in his heart so that it would be clear that Abraham loved God more then, um, then he loved his promised long-awaited son. And so it was a test um, to, to Abraham, for Abraham. And, and the test was to, it wasn't to hurt Abraham in any way. It was to strengthen his character, to, to deepen his commitment to God. And through this you know, very difficult experience, Abraham did indeed strengthen his commitment to obey God and he, he also really learns about God's ability to provide in the process. So, so Abraham hears God's word and, and he obeys it by faith, knowing somehow that God's will never, contradict, never contradicts God's promise. So he was holding on to the promise that, that in Isaac, that, that his, you know, shall thy seed be called, he said in Genesis 21, Abraham believed that somehow even if God allowed him to slay his son, he could raise Isaac from the dead. And so, so he's got that in mind, but you got to know this was a very difficult process. Uh, and yet, he walks through it with some faith because we'll see that, that he, he even tells his servants, um, listen, Isaac and I are going to go off and worship, um, and then we're going to return to you. He seemed to know somehow deep down that Isaac was coming with him back, some, one way or another, whether it was God was going to resurrect him, whatever was going to happen, but that he was coming back. And, and and so we, we, this is why I think we, we see Abraham in Hebrews 11 as painted as such a picture of the faith. Um, we've already seen a lot of mistakes on the journey, but um, Abraham would really get it right sometimes. Uh, you know, he, he, we'll look at this chapter in Hebrews in just a second before we do our reading. But, you know, Abraham obeyed him when he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know when he was going. He didn't know how, and he didn't know why. And, and uh, watch that in Hebrews 11, 8 through 19 get developed. I'm just going to read this to you. This isn't our, our scripture reading, but I wanted to just pick it up. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So he didn't know where. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So he didn't know when, didn't know where. By faith, Abraham, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand 
on the seashore. Uh, and and it, it, so, you know, that's a huge deal. You didn't know how the sun was going to come. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Uh, they, they didn't uh, receive the things they'd promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did raise Isaac back from death. So, in effect, he did. And so, and it's, this is, the, the, the chapter is also a foreshadowing of, of what God will offer to us in his son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate sacrifice. And that, that God provides the sacrifice even in this situation. Um, so, let me dig into it. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read this to you, 24 verses. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you have is fine. The notes will show up overhead. They were on the little sheets in the back if you wanted one of those. But here we go. They're also in the Bibles on the rows. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the star in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, uh, Uz the firstborn, um, Buzz his brother, Camuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, uh, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also had sons, Teba, uh, 
Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Blessed be the word of the Lord. And, and if you're looking for some baby names, <laughs> I like Makkah, Gaham, and Tabah. I suggest those for you. <laughs> and your kid will not be happy. Okay. Um, so, you know, verse 1, God tests Abraham. Not to trip him up and watch him fall. It's not that kind of deal. But it's, it's really to deepen his capacity to obey him and then, you know, to develop his character. You always need to look at that. Um, God doesn't test us because he wants us to fail. Whenever that kind of situation happens in our lives, it's because he wants to develop us further in the journey. And so we have to learn. Um, you know, one of the most important things we will learn on our journey um, until we go to be with Jesus is how to trust God. And, and I think you'll figure that out. Those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, you know that's kind of what it gets down to all the time, is do you really trust God? And, and I think sometimes we do really good with that. I'm, I'm going to talk for me now, and sometimes not so much. And, and, uh, and I'm amazed at how quickly I can change from really trusting God to not trusting God at all. Almost it seems like it can go like this, depending on circumstance. But how do, you know, how do we get ourselves to that point where, where, you know, we can look back over time and see that God is faithful and allow that to really impact us in the moment? And, and so, um, I, I, you know, I, I think we, we do better over time as our character is developed. And often it's, it's developed as we, as we learn to wait and as we sort of push through difficult circumstances. You know, if, if, if God just always, you know, knocked down the doors at the moment we began to get, you know, a little uncomfortable, we wouldn't learn that he's faithful. We'd just start to take it for granted. We would like it that way. I know I would. That's, that would be my plan. You know, the minute I toss any little thing up there, I'm like, hey, how about now? But that's not the way he operates most of the time. And he does that to, to help us, not to hurt us in any way. So remember, you always got to have that idea about God. God is always with you and he's always for you. And he's got you and will provide in perfect timing, which is not necessarily your timing. I, I kind of think about, can you imagine Abraham... Having the thought that God's going to rescue Isaac, but he kind of pushed it till the end. You know what I mean? The whole time he's putting him on the wood and stuff and doing all those. I can't even imagine how he was feeling. God, what's going on? I, and, and yet, you know, God provided at the perfect time. Um, and Abraham learned once again how faithful God is and that God does indeed provide and that God can be trusted. You know, because Abraham, like I said, great faith. He'd listen to God, but then he would get a little excited and try and make things happen in his own strength. Any of you ever do that? Hard to wait. Very hard to wait. We, we, we want things to answer. It's just part of the stuff. But God works with us. And so um, it, it's, it's the way sort of refire, that, that fire refines ore to extract precious metals. Um, it's the same sort of process. God's refining us through circumstances. And, and uh, you know, I, I always want to say, I think about this too, that he often, he, he uses circumstances more often than he causes circumstances. So, so we don't start blaming God. 
you know, the fallen world is enough to present all sorts of difficult circumstances, which are, you know, out the result of sin. Um, but God in His faithfulness will use them and, and you know, will we'll allow us to walk through them to a point so that we can grow in our process. And, and so, you know, whenever you're dealing with something difficult, we can either complain about it, which we, we probably do some anyway, but we can also see how He's sort of stretching us to develop our character. And, you know, as we're stretched, we, we do learn to trust Him more, and, and so our, our tolerance for that stuff builds in Him. And then uh, verse 3, you know, uh, I, I think as um, Abraham sets out on this journey, uh, this has got to be the, the hardest 50-mile journey anybody's ever taken, to have the idea of what's going on, and then off you go, and you're not sure what's going to happen. And, and I... I just imagine how, you know, that's why I said I think this is a difficult chapter. This would have been, I don't know how I could even begin the process, and here goes Abraham, uh, and think about the, the difficulties he's had in getting to the place where Isaac, the, who's, who was, of the, you know, the son of promise, 25 years after the promise, because he was, got the promise at 25, he was 100 when Isaac finally comes along, and now it looks like God's asking him to, to do something unthinkable. And he, he starts this journey. And, and I, I can imagine it was a fairly somber uh, journey as they begin the process. But, you know, as we move on, you know, when we get into verse 6 or so, and through there, there's a couple of statements in there that I think um, are significant that, that point out the Abraham's faith uh, in God. One of them is where it says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, which in fact he does, caught in a thicket, right when it was needed. And another thing that he says um, in there, in this, in this recorded for us, and you've probably heard it in songs, he uses the term Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. We used to sing a song here all the time, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So, um, it, so it means, you know, the Lord will provide or the Lord will see to it. And and there's something about Abraham, who he's confident that God's going to meet him there. But like I said, it, there's a lot of steps on that journey to the point where that meeting happens. And uh, I think very difficult. Uh, you know, we learn to trust him as we learn that, that we're to love him more than anything else. We're to hold on to God more tightly than anything else. And anything that we're holding on to more tightly than God is an obstacle in our lives and could be. And I think God was making sure that Isaac wasn't going to be an obstacle to Abraham because of how long it had taken and the promise. And remember, you know, now Abraham had had to kick Ishmael out of the camp. It was difficult for him. That was his son too. And, and now you're, you know, I had to kick that son out. Now you, and, and just so you're, you're balancing all that. But, but there's something about learning to love God first and foremost that, that ultimately helps us to love everyone else better, um, cleaner, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a more godly way. And so I, I think it has to happen to us that way. Um, in verse 13, there's, there's a, a significant parallel that you need to make sure you get between the ram offered on the altar as a substitute for Isaac, Isaac and, and Christ offered on the cross as a substitute for us. 
Now, where, where God, by his great mercy, stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, God did not spare his own son, Jesus, from dying on the cross. Because if Jesus had lived, the rest of humankind would have died. That's, that's the point that you see. You know, that had to happen in order that, that we could have life. And so God sends his only son to die for us so that we can be spared from the eternal death we deserve and instead receive eternal life. That's really the heart of John 3.16, right? But, but you see a type, a foreshadowing of the event here and, and how God's concern and sacrifice and love for us is greater than anything that we can give back. And there's a lot of other sort of... Um, type that you, can, that you can find as you look through Genesis 22, like, um, you know, Isaac carried the wood uh, on his back, it was like, the, like and, and just in a similar way Jesus would carry our sin, um, you know, as a burden. There's, there's some, some other things that you can see as types in the chapter. Because Abraham obeys God, verses uh, 15 and following, he receives abundant blessing from God. He sort of re, uh, re instates or reminds Abraham of many of the promises of the covenant um, from Genesis 12 and 15. Um, he, he says that Abraham's descendants are going to have the ability to conquer their enemies. God promises Abraham children and grandchildren who would in turn bless the entire earth um, and, and that people's lives would be changed as a result of knowing of the faith of Abraham and his descendants. And in fact, that takes place in significant ways. So, so all of these things are, are um, the, the upside of this chapter. But again, I think, a, you know, a difficult chapter. The whole idea, the whole idea of the test and, and what the test looked like it was going to be and how, how can that be God. Um, and yet when you, when you sort of dig into it, you see it's a, it's a type of what's going to take place on the cross and his willingness to die for us, you know, and how that exceeds, you know, the, 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 the love bond that... Um, that God has and, and was willing to um, give to us in Christ, His Son, agonizingly dying on the cross. Significant, and we always need to be aware of that and what that means in our lives. So that's, uh, that's the heart of Genesis 22, I think. I might encourage you to read through it and think about it and kind of press in a little deeper where you can, but I think we covered the bulk of that for today. If you're watching by video, thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate you doing that, and we'd love to have you come and join us next week or and whenever you can. But if not, stay connected on the Internet. Thank you.